Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I knew on his and he's like, that's my mija who worked to get this job of 10 years and now you're going to walk away. Why? And what are you going to do? In his mind, the way I internalized it was like, okay, I think my dad thinks that if I quit my job, I'm going to lose my pay and benefits and then basically become homeless and die. Like there's no in between. It's like right. all or nothing. And it was this like black and white like dichotomy, this binary that didn't make sense. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not how this works. And I had internalized that for a long time and not to blame him for anything, but it's, they want to keep us safe. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. And this is your host, Janice. Um, so I've kind of been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, y'all, and I'm getting ready to make a major announcement about my life. If you've been following me for a while, you might know that I have been building my business to the point that I am planning to transition to a full-time entrepreneur and the day is quickly coming. So if you want to find out more about my special announcement about what the hell I'm doing with my life, make sure you follow me on Instagram because I'm going to be announcing what I'm doing in the next couple weeks. And I would love to have your support. 
So this episode for me is super timely because we're talking to an amazing and inspiring mujer who walked away from her career to build her own business. So you already know she's a woman after my own heart. Today's episode features Eliana Murillo, founder and CEO of Element and Company, which includes an innovation venture lab, a production studio, and a consulting firm. Her mission is to amplify and invest in diverse small businesses, startups, and content creators, and she also consults business and tech leaders how to design culturally relevant products and marketing campaigns. Ileana spent 10 years at Google, where she founded the multicultural marketing team, and she co-founded Ola, the Latino employee resource group at Google. She also co-founded the Latinos in Tech Giving Circle, and outside of that, she founded Latinas Who Brunch. She co-founded her family's organic tequila company, Tequila Alquimia, which is an award-winning company that is selling 100% USDA certified organic tequila. I told y'all she was doing the most in the best way possible. Ileana is a Harvard grad. She's been featured in the Forbes 30 under 30 list. She's been named in the top 10 Latina corporate executives list by Latina Style Magazine, top 50 most powerful Latinas list by ALPFA, She is a game changer, a poderosa, a overall inspiring AF mujer, and I can't wait for y'all to meet her. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Eliana, welcome to the podcast. I am such a big fan of yours. I'm like crushing so hard right now, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh my God. Well, the feeling is so mutual. I am such a big fan of yours. Your content, girl. Oh my God. You get me thinking. You got me sharing all your content all the time. And so thank you for inviting me to be a part of this because I'm a big, big fan. And I'm excited to be able to share with even more people because I see your audience growing and you're doing an incredible job. Thank you. That means so much. It's funny. I think the first time I found you on social media, you were doing yoga ton. Uh, yep. <laughs> I was just like, hold on. Like whoever has the genius idea of coming up with merging reggaeton with yoga, I need to know who this woman is. And I have been such a huge fan of yours ever since then. Thank you. I love that because often we think like, as a professional, do I bring my full self, right? Do I do mm-hmm. talk about being in tech and entrepreneurship and then get on there and, and do my stretching, my downward dogging <laughs> and perreando at the same time? And so the fact that like, I know we'll talk about money, obviously that's what we're here for, but the fact that we're starting with the Agathon just makes me feel so seen right now. My heart is like fluttering. <laughs> so thank you. 
because I love it. Of course. And that's the thing that I also immediately noticed about you is that you're not one dimensional. You're not just talking about one thing on your platform, which Mm -hmm. I love because I think a lot of people get intimidated when they're first thinking about creating a brand or or a business and they're like confused about what side of themselves they should show. And it's like, no, we want to see the whole thing. Totally. We want to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because if you're only showing us the curated BS portion of your life, then yeah, that's when people start feeling like, are you really being who you are or not? Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny because a lot of people tell me like, oh my God, you're so real. And I'm like, what are people saying otherwise? Like, I'm I'm just being myself. But, you know, I realize that, of course, like the world of if it's Instagram or mostly Instagram these days or if people use TikTok, whatever, it's it can be very curated. Right. Or Mm -hmm. and I think the the challenge is when people think that's reality and then they start comparing themselves to it. And I think that gets really dangerous because like, no, this is like the sizzle highlight reel. This is not Mm. even my own content. right? Like I'm as authentic as I can. But like the other day I, I had we have our days. I had my day. I left the office and I was in tears over just had some challenges that I couldn't get through. And I recorded it and I thought, am I going to put this on the internet? And I was like, mm, maybe, maybe not. It doesn't make me inauthentic, mm-hmm. but like, I think we can still like live a life and not put everything on the internet if we don't want to. But why not be our real selves on the internet? It doesn't have to be overly filtered. I just did yoga this morning in my vata straight up. Like, I had retainers in girl like like yes I should have some vergüenza and I did it anyway because I know that for me I don't do yoga as much hardly at all if I'm not live there's just something about being in community obviously I know you get that like as Latinas Mm -hmm. community is so important but like I miss it and I and going live makes me feel like there's somebody out there we're doing this together even though they're probably watching me like esta loca (laughs) and I'm like if you're not dancing with me just like move your shoulders and they're probably like no I'm doing emails like I'm not gonna (laughs) dance with you but it's been really cool to do it and to I started actually the first session I ever led like I said I I made it up I love yoga I love reggaeton I did it at the beach it was as you know I founded Latinas Who Brunch and so we had Mm -hmm. uh, yoga and brunch event when I was living in San Francisco and it was super fun. And I thought, oh my God, pandemic, I can't do this anymore. And I was just getting started. And then I don't know what possessed me to go live with it. And knowing I have coworkers watching, I have anyone, anyone on my Instagram can watch. I'm like, well, this is me. And I hope it encourages other people to move too and like get up and get your perro downward dog on. (laughs) (laughs) I freaking love it. And yes, so you mentioned Latinas Who Brunch. So why don't you go ahead and give a formal introduction of who you are for anybody that doesn't already follow you? Because you're doing a lot. Like I thought I was doing the most. Girl, you're doing the mostest, okay? (laughs) And I see you and I'm like, okay, there's still more. (laughs) So thank you for that, but right back at you. So I left Google in July. So most people, if they follow me, they've seen most of my career being in tech at Google. So I can talk about that, but that's just a little bit of context because I left and full-time entrepreneurship dove right in. Should have taken a break in between, by the way, but dove right in. So I'm the founder of Element and Company. So that's the umbrella company. And within it, I'm doing a couple different things for the most part focused on doing early stage uh, starting to develop platforms. So you'll see more of that soon. Developing platforms and programs to help empower and amplify minority-owned businesses. That's just a really big passion of mine. My family's in entrepreneurship. I'll talk about that. But at Google, a lot of the work I did, it was focused on multicultural marketing. I founded that team and was able to bring Google products to diverse communities in a relevant way. That's culturally relevant marketing, meaning make it relevant to people like us who have a culture that makes us use technology a little differently. You know, we share so much. We love the cheese, man. We're, we're starting entrepreneurial ventures, um, side hustles and all that. So making tech relevant to them. But there came a time when I was like, you know what? I think there's more I want to do. And I want to take a stab at being an entrepreneur. And so that's one. I'm developing a platform right now. You'll hear more about that soon, like I said, related to that, though. 
I also consult startups and small businesses. So I love that because I love ideas. I love eating with people. And so it's been amazing to be able to work with Latin founded startups, small businesses, men and women who have incredible uh, companies that they're developing and helping them really make sure they're developing from a place of integrity, intuition, intention, and then usually the insight, like what's the problem you want to solve. And with that, then also, you know, it's like once we uncover all that, get aligned with what that looks like, what are they really trying to do? Focus on their why, right? Come back to their why. It's then that we start the strategy and it's like, all right, what is the 360? Is it, how do we develop the product? How are we developing the marketing strategy? Are we doing PR? Are we doing technical things? Like how do we improve the UI user interface of an app, et cetera? Uh, I love it. It's like a 360 on the marketing side, but it includes a little bit of coaching. I don't call myself a coach, but it's like getting past those limiting beliefs and stuff like that. And those mental roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And I approach it, I think from a place of empathy as an entrepreneur, because Years ago, my family and I, we co-founded Tequila Alquimia. And so it's our, our family's organic tequila company. And it's been such a journey because it started as a family project, became a business. And now I'm proud to say we won actually more gold medals than any other tequila in the world and the two largest wow. competitions. Yeah, we're really proud of that because it was truly meant to be an effort to have social impact. Like, how do we create jobs? How do we positively impact the environment? And ultimately create a product that's actually better for the consumer. We use no pesticides, no herbicides, fungicides, nada, and no sugars and additives and color and all those things. So it's pure, all natural tequila. And with the social impact component, we contribute 20% of our sales to causes that matter to us. So if it's nonprofits supporting farm workers, super important to us, or Black Lives Matter. And over the years, we've worked with different organizations because we thought, how can this be a vehicle for us to create change? So it's been our side hustle forever. You know, we all been doing it on the side. And now- side hustle, starting a tequila company. I'm just like, my family's got to step it up. Because when we do like family projects, it's like, okay, let's coordinate to like get matching sweaters for the Christmas oh photo. Like, that's the God. family project. And you out here founding a tequila company. Okay, moving on. <laughs> no, uh, and do that. Jump in because I'll get on my like, hear me telling me the stories and long story long. And I appreciate the interjection because... I think part of what's hard about being an entrepreneur, it's not hard, but one of the interesting things about it is you forget everything you're doing and it's easy mm-hmm. to get caught up in like, there's still more to do and like the to-do list never ends. And so thank you. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll receive the compliment. <laughs> Many of us deflect and we're like, I know, but it's a mess. And like, okay, no, thank you. Thank you. It's not easy. I'll say that. It's a uh, family business is a very unique kind of business. I had to remind my puppy that I've done marketing at a company that's pretty well known for 10 years. And I can apply that here. Anyway, just learning together. And the last thing I'll say on what I'm up to though, is uh, the third bucket. It's always three for me. I've said this for years. It's community, content, commerce. So now the last thing I'm saying is community is Latinas Who Brunch. It's been an incredible journey to cultivate this community. The women who make it, it's thanks to them. These amazing badass Latinas across the country started with one brunch with me and five friends. I had gone my heart broken. I wanted to just feel supported I wanted like cariños at the brunch table (laughs) anyway so we did a brunch and I realized like I think we all need more space just holding space for each other and intentionally talking about what do you need and what can you offer and I think we often don't talk about that like we just we're chingonas and we get it done and we don't ask for help but what an opportunity to hear at the table people saying needs and offers and helping each other like connecting the dots so that was really really powerful and then I started doing them in other places as I traveled for work and then people amazing people like Mish Samrana in Florida, Rosa Pruneda in, in Texas, like people just showed up 
and said, I want to help. I'll help plan an event. And so I would go for the most part. We'd co co-host it. It was awesome. And then it was like, wait, somebody in Northern Indiana wants to do a brunch and somebody in the middle of Oregon wants to do a brunch. And so we created a hosting application process. And so through that, this grew beyond just me. And now I think pre-COVID, we had just hit about 17 states. Wow. And once things open up for real, and I'm the most risk averse person, so I'm going to wait till we're really good and safe. But we have people that want to start chapters in Amsterdam, in Vancouver. I mean, it's beautiful. Latinos are everywhere. So anyway, that's the, the third component. I mentioned the, the commerce with Alchemia, obviously, and the startup stuff I'm doing. But the content you see me you know yoga thon and post yes. story long captions on my instagram and cooking segments cooking and i love it anyway the share on top for me is always the community piece because right now more than ever we need community and what's been powerful actually i didn't say this is that in covid we had a pivot big time and i'd love to have mm. you on we've been interviewing women amazing latinas doing amazing things and virtual brunching as well and i thought man it's people are on zooms all day do they really want to do another hour two hours brunching online is it going to have that magic that you know, it's just like, it's like group therapy and like yeah. a table of hype women. It is everything. I love it. And I see how much people appreciate it. Is it going to be the same? You know, can you replicate that online? Mm-hmm. It has been incredible. If I tell you it's like 95% the same, like 5%, like, yeah, body language matters in person. Like we don't have that sasson, the same yeah. but we bring it. People are so authentic, so genuine. And so that's something that's really kept me going in this time. Well, and the accessibility, too, I think is so important, right? Because now you're not location dependent. You can have people from all over the world with you on these meetings. So that's amazing. We had a woman join us. I like to make up holidays. So I was like, I kept saying, everyone needs a little Christmas right now. Like this year kind of sucks. (laughs) We need some festivities. So I was like, okay, well, it's like halfway through the year. So July 24th, I decided it was Media Noche Buena. And July 25th was (laughs) Casi Christmas. Mm-hmm. Christmas is a holiday made up. Anyway, so we had Gussie Christmas brunch and people wore their holiday things. It was so fun. And we had women from San Antonio, Toronto, Canada. Like we're really out here. So to the point of accessibility, that's actually access has always been the word for me. Like at Google and what I'm doing now, I think it was access in a big way. And now it's partially that that'll always be a part of me, but I'm adding Amplify. Because mm-hmm. we're Latinos who rent, we're amplifying the stories of some businesses in our community, other people that are creating content. And I share and hope to always find the source to give credit. So I'm like, how can we use this platform to amplify all the incredible things people are doing? Just, it's amazing. And you're one of those. Like, we're going to talk about it. How we- oh, yes. I Thank you. Yeah. I cannot wait. All right. So I want to get into your relationship with money because Mm -hmm. I feel like all of us have a money story and it kind of frames the way that we move in the world, where we go with our careers, how we just invest in ourselves or in our futures. And so what was your relationship like with money growing up? Can you talk me through that? Yeah. So I think it was shaped by two big things. One is the reality of my parents' upbringing. So they were very honest with me about where they started. My mom is from, oh, her family's from Juarez, Mexico, but she was born in El Paso and they moved to California. I'm born and raised in California. They moved here when she was two years old, but very much a daughter of immigrants, first gen. And my dad moved from Mexico from Jalisco when he was four years old. So both absolutely the definition of first gen stories. They went to college here and a lot of my friends are first gen and I have so much respect for people who are first gen because I now see their full journey, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. who are first gen can't imagine where they're going, but I'm like, I saw my parents do it. Like from one generation to the next, go from my mom's mom, my abuelita Lupe went to third grade three times because that was the highest she could go in the little pueblito. She kept going back. So there were wow. caps. You could not do more than that. And so for her, my mom's one of nine kids. 
for most of them to go to college. Some of them chose other paths, but to make it in America. My mom grew up in a one bedroom house with eight siblings. She's one of nine. And, you know, whatever primo was in town or whoever needed to stay. So both low income and really resourceful. And so my mom, especially give her credit for always making sure we know like everything has to be earned. You work hard, take nothing for granted and reminding us where we came from. Like there were no blinders, no like, oh no, we're, we, you know, she's a teacher now, high school Spanish teacher. My dad's an optometrist. And so there was never any sort of sugarcoating of what it takes to get there and to know like, and now it's on you to keep going. You know, there was never like, now we settle, we, we're good. We made it and made it means different things to many people. But there was a moment when my mom her dream growing up was to have her own bed because she shared it with three sisters. Wow. Actually, she grew up sleeping on a pullout couch. And I don't know how she feels about me sharing that, but I'm always honest. And I, and I share that because it's so beautiful to me to see the transformation people can create in their own lives by just giving it ganas, like working so mm -hmm. hard to do it. So that was perspective that they gave me. And I'm grateful for everything they did to provide life for us that looked a little different. But then on my dad's side of things, having grown up in a very Mexican household, and I think he planted the seed early, which I don't think a lot of dads do for their daughters. He said, Miha, work hard, study hard so that you can afford the lifestyle you want without depending on anyone. And mm. I don't think he saw himself as a little feminist back then, but you know, my mom might say otherwise. But it was really beautiful to have that reminder that there was never a thought of like, I need to marry somebody and like some other source of income and stability or something. It was always yeah, like, like super oh. powerful. Yeah. And so I think. They were always thoughtful about telling us, like, you know, save your money and like plan. Like my mom, for, since I was a kid, would be like, do you want one Barbie or do you want five coloring books? Which was probably cheaper <laughs> than the Barbie. But I was like, oh, one versus five. Duh, I want the coloring books. So then I got to I went to Harvard undergrad and I'm in an economics class and they're teaching us about like comparative utility, essentially. Like how do you compare value of items to like price aside, like value of these things? And a lot of kids struggle with it. And I was like, oh, my mom taught me that my whole life. Like she was making those <laughs> choices all the time. So definitely frugal, <laughs> cost conscious, and then thinking of it as a way, I mean, a path for liberation in many ways, you know, like not to be defined by where we started and not to depend on anyone else. So that's the backstory. And the other part of it, though, is that my parents are, as much as my dad is an entrepreneur, my mom is a part of the business too, but my dad leads, he and I do this mostly together with the tequila and he has his own practice as an optometrist. So he's been an entrepreneur. So he knows it's not easy. And they always push me really hard on making sure I had stability. So mm. getting that job that has the level of almost obsession they have with benefits, like these things <laughs> that like our families, like you made it when you got benefits, you know, a health insurance. And so they really pushed me on that for a long time. And candidly, I'll share that when I was starting to think about leaving Google and doing things, something on my own, I could see the panic in my dad's eyes because, you know, here he is entrepreneurial telling me like, do what you can do what you want and do it however you can. But also like, I knew on his and he's like, that's my Mija who worked to get this job of 10 years. And now you're going to walk away. Why? And what are you going to do? In his mind, the way I internalized it was like, okay, I think my dad thinks that if I quit my job, I'm going to lose my pay and benefits and then basically become homeless and die. Like there's no in between. It's like right. all or nothing. And it was this like black and white, like dichotomy, this binary that didn't make sense. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not how this works. And I had internalized that for a long time and not to blame him for anything, but it's, they want to keep us safe. And so that's the nature of our parents. My parents have had the same exact conversation with me when I tell them, oh God, this ain't going to be my life. Like I'm pulling levers. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting out of 
in some way. And mm-hmm. my dad's like, well, Mija, just do them both. Um, I'm like, dad, I can't. I'm fucking dying. Yeah. I'm exhausted. One this is not sustainable. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and when I look at you and you post these different revenue streams, like I love that you're sharing all this. It is so inspiring. And I know people out there, are, I've shared them. I'm like, look at this. This is so dope. All the different revenue streams you can have it and having like a multi-pronged approach let's say or thinking of it in a multi-dimensional way not just i have one job and i have one income that works for a lot of people so absolutely if anyone's listening and feels like pressured or social pressure to have a side hustle you don't have to do that like do the nine to five it's great it's lovely it's just not for everyone and it was absolutely great it was for me until it wasn't like i think mm-hmm. that i'm grateful for this new year's absolutely i got to do a lot of cool things and it wasn't always easy but the experience was phenomenal and all and like some we're the experts of our own experience so i'll always keep that with me and, and i'm grateful for that but it reached the point where i was like wait there's other things i want to do that i know i can do more of on the outside and that's when we started having real conversations and also like i said candidly being okay not talking about every single decision with my parents because they care a lot and I'm glad I can have that with them. But sometimes I was like, I just got to do it for me. I know what I'm doing. I'm saving my money. I saved for a long time to make this possible. And then once I was ready, I just looked them and I'm like, hey, today's my last day at Google. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> my mom's like, wait, no more snacks? No more goodies and t-shirts? I was like, sorry, mom. We're going to buy those ourselves now. She would take students to visit me at the office and the micro kitchen. Yeah, it's a great place to work. I encourage anyone who wants to work in tech. Yeah, you can get a good job. There's a lot of cool perks, but it was about more than that for me. The impact I want to create. I was like, I'm ready to do other things and to build the platforms that don't exist yet. I was marketing products that already exist, which is, I was about it for a long time. And now I'm like, wait, but I still see gaps. That's what being a visionary and an entrepreneur is. Like you see a problem you want to solve or an opportunity like you are, right? Like we need more people, especially of our audience, our community talking about money. So you went and decided to do something about it, which is awesome. So that resonates for me deeply. And anyway, so the kind of my long story, long answer there is a lot of being cost conscious, being mindful of spending, and then a little bit of fear of like, but if it's not stable, then what? And Mm -hmm. now I think I had to do a little bit of unlearning, but appreciating that like, it's that safety net. That's what they want. They didn't work this hard for us to just like fall apart. No, it's true. Yeah, I had to cut myself. <laughs> it's like, like leaving the nest, you know, mm-hmm. it's the whole, oh. they're going to be anxious about anything that looks like instability, which yeah, is pain. fine. That's their role as parents. But we also have a duty to ourselves to mm-hmm. live authentically, regardless Absolutely. of what the outside opinions are. Yeah, And to just try. It was funny because my dad was really anxious about it. Every time I even mentioned leaving Google, he'd look like just nervous. <laughs> I could see in his face. I was like, oh my God, as they say. And then my mom... She was just like, she's always kind of been like, do your thing, like follow your dreams for the most part, you know, as much as she could within reason, I guess. But at one point, when I was really not sure, because people make it look like leaving a company so easy. No, it took me months to decide. I mean, it's a good company to work for. I had to really, really have a lot of conversations with myself about like, does this make sense? And I was talking to mentors and people, but ultimately I was like, I have to just, just, no one's going to know unless other than yourself, right? No one can envision. Yeah. So I had to just get really real with myself, do a lot of trying to listen to my intuition, tap in. And at one point when I was really at the beginning of that process and was really unsure and I called my mom and was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I did, but I, you know, we, I like the phrase, we believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. Mm. So I believe the doubt I had, like, what if I don't do something that's, what if it doesn't work out, whatever. So I was in that mindset. And my mom was like, Mia, 
if it doesn't work out, just you can move home and sell Alquimia t-shirts. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? And it, it was meant to be encouraging. And it, it was, but I was like, wait, but I mean, and no disrespect to people who are actually hustling t-shirts. Cause like, I'm totally trying to get into the merch game next too. I love it. But like, <laughs> she was just saying like, you, you're going to figure it out. You know, like you will be yeah. resourceful. You will figure out something to sell, to do whatever. And so it was kind of a nice reminder. I was like, all right, well, mom's cool with it. So our yeah. parents sometimes have a united front, but independently have different views. And ultimately it's like you said, it's like, we have to do what's authentic to us. And so mm-hmm. I'm grateful for their financial values. They instilled in me. I still try to be as mindful of money as I can. I'm, I had a 401k. I don't know if you ever want to talk about those specifics, but um, company matched it. Thank God. I was saving as much as I could to be prepared for this jump. And that's really what made me feel like even though it's like I de-risk the jump, like it is a risky move to leave a stable income, of course, but I knew that I have enough things mapped out that I have a combination of things like your outlines of all the different revenue streams. I see that I visualize it right now as I'm describing it. I was like, I've saved enough money. I have things I can monetize. And if there's things that will take long-term results to monetize, then am I depending on savings? Am I consulting on the side? because I need it or because I want to. Fortunately, all the consulting yeah. I've done is because I've wanted to. Like there's just startups that I think are super cool. And I'm like, it's an honor to work with them. And it's nice that they also pay me. So, <laughs> Absolutely. And I love the idea of just like, at some point, you just got to stop taking everybody's advice. Oh my because God. Because everybody's going to have, like you will get opinions that you didn't even ask for. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> believe me, I agree so much. <laughs> and everyone wants to have an opinion. And I do think most people, I think it's one of two things. One, they either care and they're trying, they're worried and unsure and they don't see it the way you do, right? They can't all, they don't have full context of the vision you have. And mm-hmm. two, usually they're projecting. Yeah. I realized that my parents kept bringing up retirement for me. And I was like, what? Like, I'm nowhere near retirement. Cause they're like, one day when you retire, da da. And I was like, oh my God, like, can I live? Like, let me just try this. Like, don't get all worried about it yet. Like retirement. And then I was like, oh, that's where they are. They're thinking about their retirement. My mom's trying to retire in a year. So she's doing all these calculations and make sure she's set because teaching and COVID is more challenging. And so she's like, you know, she's reassessing her own life. Like, is this the life I want to live? Can I just retire? Mm-hmm. She's worked over 30 years as a public high school teacher. Like, I'm like, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I'm like, you've done God's work for a long time. <laughs> but that's when I was like, oh, people only know their own perspective, experience, and bias, and also fear. And I think it's real when, as you get older, the fear of, did you plan enough for retirement? Did you save enough to really live a comfortable lifestyle and when you can't work anymore or don't want to. And so anyway, it was helpful to remember that I can hear the input, but I don't need to retain it. I don't need to internalize it if it doesn't apply to me. Yes. And I think like, it's just really important to have an honest conversation with yourself and literally like write down what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? Oh my God. The worst thing that could possibly happen is that you got to go get a job. Yeah. Like, it's not that you're going to be homeless. It's not that, like, you're never going to see another dollar again. Yeah. But that's, like, the fatalist, like, mentality that you get into when you're just like, oh, my God, I'm going to do something that everybody's telling me not to do. Mm -hmm. This is against the grain. So, of course, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail hard. I'm going to end up on the streets. And it's just like, yo, like, what information do you have? What data do you have to support that conclusion? Because there is none. Yeah. Or what telenovela did you watch where the... (laughs) person like basically died when they try to follow their dreams like I think make smart calculated risks or take them be, right. and decisions and I actually did that I wrote it out like all right worst case scenario I make no money you know I have like all these like worst worst case scenarios it's like all right well I could probably move on my parents I can probably just get a job I'm so employable right and I was like what this bitch yes I'm employable what the hell like 
you can just go get a job. And, right. and I think it's important to remember that like, it's not forever. You try it. And mm. I, I, cause I think I never want to mislead someone like entrepreneurship is not easy and you do have to prepare for the rough for the rainy days and, and things taking longer than you think. And all the things, right. We can have that whole conversation, but mm-hmm. I, the more we prepare for it, great. And also you try it for a couple months. It doesn't work. You go get a job. Like, right. It's not the end of the world. Like you said, so. I'm with yes. You. The worst case is everybody's normal life. So you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what somebody said. A friend of mine was like, isn't the worst case that you just go back to where you started now? So why don't you just try? Cause you'll be exactly where you are now. <laughs> right. So I want to talk about Google because I feel like there's so much mystery behind it. And I just want to know, like, can you give us a little behind the scenes peek as to like, what the heck it's like working at Google? Mm. Is it really all it's cracked up to be? All right. I'm like, I'm always honest. And also don't want to, I think that I recognize the privilege I have of being within this company. That's like almost like the Wizard of Oz. Like what's behind that Google search screen, right? What's behind the curtain? And so as I was ready to leave, I was like, all right, what's that good about it? What would be better on the outside? So I was really taking kind of a almost inventory of the perks, the cool things and the challenges as well. And so I think that it is objectively a really incredible company. Like they do a lot to take care of their employees. I say they, I was we for 10 years. I started right out of college. Actually, I interned after my junior year of college and I went back full time. And if, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Internship, where the mm-hmm. guy goes, like, the banana's free and the bagel's free and, like, yes. all things free. So I was totally that girl. I was, like, I <laughs> I gained weight, and it, like, right when I started, because I would eat every like, there's so much food. I would eat everything <laughs> as if they weren't going to serve more tomorrow. Like, this mm-hmm. might be the last time that they have all these things. It's like college all over again. And so I think some of the beautiful things about it is that they attract a lot of really talented people. Some of my coworkers, they're family. Like, they'll be... I don't know if they're going to baptize my, if I have children or like at my wedding, like they're in my, we, I mean, we say we're familia. I co-founded the group for Latinos at Google called Hola. And so that was something that mattered to me a lot was like, all right, I'm at this company at the time. It wasn't, still isn't very diverse. So the perks are cool, but I want to feel like a real, like, how can I be myself in this environment that's providing a lot, but like, how can I create community here and, and you know, find my place and different things. And so that really shaped my experience a lot. It's incredibly innovative. You know, there's always a lot going on in terms of like a self-driving car. So now Google is Alphabet and Google's part of it. But if it's YouTube and I got to work on a lot of cool projects because I created this role focused on multicultural marketing that hadn't been done before and then built the team out of it eventually, I was able to work on like the first Latin Grammys TV spot commercial for Chromebooks. That was awesome. Mm. Or our very first bilingual digital ads to promote the Primer app. If you haven't heard of it, everybody listening, Primer, you can swipe through marketing lessons to learn basic marketing skills. Not even that basic. Some of it's pretty advanced, but you could start at the basics and it's really easy to adjustable things to learn. And so a lot of my work involved working with these product teams, first telling them like, hey, did you know about these audiences? So focus on the US Latino, but also like if and when it made sense, like, oh, if we're doing a collection of Latino literature for Latino Heritage Month, what if we do one for Black History Month? And like making them realize like there are moments, there are cultural sensibilities that make us like Black hair care, like natural hair care on YouTube is popping off. It's incredible. So like, how do we support more Black content creators? How do we work with more Latino small business owners? Because we're creating so many businesses. So my experience within Google was pretty unique because I got to work across areas where most people are product specific if they're not in sales. If they're in marketing or engineering, it's product specific. I was more audience specific, so I could work across products. But what I loved about it was that 
it's almost like I had like a charcuterie board of product options to work with and I could mm-hmm. make those relevant to our community. And I got to be really entrepreneurial. So being an entrepreneur on the inside, working with teams that have, I mean, they're just so talented and so bright working across, like I said, I work with sales teams and work with YouTube, different areas of the company. So it does feel, I mean, I was in Mountain View, the headquarters for most of, I think about half of my career, I should say, because that's where all the buildings are. And it feels like a college campus. There's the bikes and all that stuff. Then I moved to New York. I did almost three years out of that office, which is also super cool. And then once I went out there, then mom started taking college student or college trips with the high school kids. And then it was like, go to Google to visit and then take them to schools and stuff. So anyway, it was fun to be out there for, like I said, about three years. Came back to the Bay Area, did the San Francisco office, and then last was in LA at Playa Vista. So I got to, oh, that's a cool thing. So I got to work in a number of offices, but I also got to travel a lot through it because we have offices. Mm-hmm. Last I checked, I said, now I said we, we have <laughs> 90 offices in 60 countries. So I, wow. I think I ended at like, I went to like 94 offices or something. And anyway, so not everyone's experience was like mine because I got to be a metiche in a couple different areas, you know, and, and developing this as a business practice. But like I said, I'm always honest, like it's a very a challenging environment for sure. Like, I mean, imposter syndrome is real. Underrepresentation of people of color is a reality. But um, that, you know, that's why I started Ola. That's why we collaborated with the Black Google Network and other groups. And it's like, you have to bring your A game. And like, if you don't catch a mistake, someone's going to catch it for you. So it's a lot of overachievers, a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I identify as one, so I'm not, I'm not hating, a lot of people <laughs> who actually are entrepreneurial. So it's sort of like everyone almost like owns their own mini business. Like that's their jam. They're focused on building out this product or the sales team or whatever. And so people often get hired who have that spirit to just like own it, run with it. And I think now, I mean, it's changing quite a bit. I mean, the world looks different with all these platforms playing a role in life in a way that we didn't expect before. And so I think things are, I always think of it. And I think the way the company has positioned itself is like, it's the platform company. And what I would always say is like in a cultural relevance space, it's about making the user the hero. So how are we telling the stories of the small business owners that happen to use the products, but they're amazing on their own? How do we maybe work with advertisers, brands that want to sponsor content online, run their ads on YouTube and so forth? They're the heroes. It's their brand story. And so I always really appreciated that because it felt like tools that I could build with to make the impact I wanted. It sounds like an amazing place to work, but I can definitely see how like being in that kind of high stress, high performance, high achieving environment could get exhausting at some point. So does that have anything to do with why you left? Yeah. I mean, burnout is real. I definitely burned out about halfway through my career because I can't say that Google did this to me. I mean, it was a factor. I worked there and it is a, it's an intense environment, but I found a beautiful way to align my passion and sense of purpose with my work. And so it was about supporting community. It was about showing up, helping people have access to technology, doing creative collaborations. So it was almost addictive. You know, it's like, I can just do more and then keep going. And I'd meet anybody. I, I could meet somebody at a club and they'd say they have a small business. And I'm like, Ooh, are you on Google maps? Are you doing analytics? Like it was just, it was like hard to stop. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that self-care is really, really real. At one point I was like, I pushed myself way too hard. I was flying everywhere all the time. I was grinding on work all the time. And then hit a point where I was like, well, I technically lost my voice and had almost like pre-carpal tunnel. So for about three months, I couldn't really speak very well. I mean, it's just like whispering and it was just rough. And 
my doctor's like, you just need to stop. Like you really just need to pause. He was like, take time off and just like do your hobbies. And I was like, what even is a hobby? Like, no, really, like, what does a hobby mean now? Because it'd been about five years I'd been out of school and I was like, what do people do? Because I did competitive cake decorating growing up. <laughs> so I love to cook. You know, I painted my whole life and I hadn't done any of that in at least, well, five years plus college, really. Most of college. I had a one of my earliest side hustles was I sold chocolate and strawberries out of my dorm in college. I dip up and sell them every Valentine's Day. Yeah. I, when I interviewed with Google, they asked, what's my favorite Google product? And I was like, well, actually, I used a bunch of them to start my business. It was like pop-up before pop-up was real. Like I use Blogspot to make my little website and I use Google Checkout to take people's credit card information and like, you know, <laughs> little local hustler. But anyway, so it was always really important to me to find ways. Well, I learned this early on when I got to Google. I was in a rotational program initially in HR. I had done sales as an intern and I came back in HR. And I was involved with the team that would do these massive programs where like, if someone's going to get promoted, you have to, there's a calibration process. Everyone's performance is assessed and sort of compared. And, and there was a part of the process where it said, is this person critical telling yes or no? And it's important because if someone doesn't get promoted and if that would maybe make them want to quit, would the company be at a disadvantage, right? Like, oh, we, we need their contacts, their context, their skill set, whatever that is. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I, I pushed myself to become critical talent as quickly as possible in every role I had. So I'd really push hard and, you know, it was fulfilling. It was fruitful. But part of me, I think, was so disconnected from the other side of myself, like doing the cooking, doing the painting and all those things that just refuel me. And also, it's a company where scale is the ultimate. Like there's at least seven products that have over a billion users. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Impressive. But like at that point, you're not really able to talk to users like you used to. And my work always involved talking to the consumer, showing up in community. And it was seen as pretty unconventional because I was really showing up. Like I would go to the events and I would talk to people and I really value that a lot. And so through that, I met so many small business owners who had a hustle that was so inspiring. I mean, small businesses and creators. People like Crafty Chica and Maya in the Moment, people like Chiloso Gummy Bears and Twister for Sugar. I'm saying company names, but Maya, Kathy, Melanie, Lucia. I mean, there's so many. And I thought like, I'm around the grind. Like people are grinding, but this is a different kind of hustle. And that gives me life. Like it doesn't have to be Silicon Valley tech giant. It doesn't have to be whatever. There's so much heart in it. And that was really inspiring for me. And so I think I reached a point where it was like, I've done this for a long time and I believe in it. Do I want to keep doing this or do I want to do something different and see what it's like on the other side? And, and I had these ideas that I wanted to explore and I was always doing them as side projects here and there. And I was like, okay, it's time to take them to the next level. And so I call myself a serial side hustler because I always did that. At Google, I had five roles I created four from scratch, all because I had projects that I turned at Google, there's 20% time. So you can do projects outside of your core role for 20%. More or less, you know, get manager approval, make sure they're cool with it. But that's the idea because Gmail started as a 20% project, like an outside of your role project. And so I had these projects and then I was able to pitch to senior management or executives, whoever managed the function. And I'd say, hey, look at what I did, often in collaboration with our team to reach these audiences that you haven't been addressing much or, you know, being very intentional about it. Because I was the first one to do this in a formal way to imagine what I could do with 100% of my time. And so that's what got them like, oh, wow, like I would measure everything, had all the metrics, had the stories. That's part of it. it was like, I'm like, it's either scalar stories. I either reached thousands of users or I found some really good stories that can become success stories and campaigns and stuff like that. And so that worked well for me. And then it was always pitching the sponsor, the person who's going to believe in the work to either give me the budget or the full time headcount, the role. 
And then I thought, I have all these personal five to 20% projects. There's no one for me to pitch them to. I mean, the future investors, but like, it'll grow as much as I allow it to. There's no one like on the mm-hmm. inside where I can ask someone, hey, let me do more. It'll only grow as much as I give it space, right? It's like the goldfish. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, okay, I need to sponsor myself. I need to think of this as if I've given this five to 20% of my time, imagine what could happen if I give it a hundred percent. And so, yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. (laughs) I love what you say about making space for ourselves and for what's Mm -hmm. what we're really passionate about, because it's so easy to just get into the day-to-day grind and leave Mm -hmm. nothing for yourself. And then you wonder why you wake up 10 years later and your life still looks exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Or we wake up the next day and it feels like we've aged 10 years because, Mm. you know, we're tired (laughs) and exhausted. And I think that's the hard lesson I had to learn, which is like, I can't hustle or grind or both if I'm depleted. And my friend Anthony Mm -hmm. reminds me, he's like, you can't pour from an empty cup. And the work that I do involves showing up for other people. Like I'm not just like selling a product inside a house and never talking to people like anyone business is about people, right? I always think like, think of your consumers as your community. And in everything I do, it is about the people. And so I'm like, I can't show up. I was stretching myself too thin because I wasn't making time for the things I needed, the yoga, the meditation, the, the self-care and all that. And I'll share a new update. I was telling my dad, I was feeling challenged because I had a concussion. So sometimes my body can't go as hard as I'd like. You know, sometimes I have feel sensitive to look at screens. As much as I'm on the internet, I'm like, girl, uh-huh. if you could imagine me full force, be, oh my God, me breaking the internet. But anyway, sometimes I have to hold back and it's frustrating when I want to get work done. And so I was just, so you can be a Chiona and a Chingona at the same time. I haven't put them on the shirt yet, but eventually. <laughs> and so I'm all, you know, my feelings about it. And my dad, who's like security, don't depend on anybody, work hard. He's like, Miha, you just have to focus on your physical, mental, and emotional health and just focus on your self-love and self-care. And he looked at me. He's like, can you believe I just said that? Look at what you're doing to me. <laughs> he like had a little moment of reflection. I was like, what just happened? And I was like, oh right. my God. I was like, thank you, Bobby. I don't think I thought I needed that, but it was like the emotional hug I needed because sometimes, you know, we we're hard on ourselves. I'm hard on myself. And to have my dad, who I thought was going to be really hard on me of like, so what are you doing? And what are the results? And sometimes parents do that. People do that. But um, it was beautiful to hear him out of nowhere. I was like, whoa, we've made progress. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, I've learned to value that so much. And I, I'm really big on getting coaches. In fact, I just met with one. I love it. They're so helpful. I feel like it's such an investment in ourselves, strategic. And I know lots of coaches, if anybody's looking for some, and I may start coaching soon too. I, I just haven't committed yet, but I'm like, Girl, I'll be your first client. I'm, so, I'm telling you right now. All right. We'll legit. talk about it. Oh my God. <laughs> pitching. <laughs> but, um, I'm, I love it. I informally coach people all the time. I mean, if they feel it's helpful, I, I'm happy to, you know, it's just perspective, you know, and, and holding space yes. and, and holding up a mirror to remind you like, you're awesome. You've got this. We just, again, we believe our doubts and got our beliefs. I love that you mentioned that because I think, you know, when people think about coaches, it's like, I think a lot of people start with this idea that they're like, okay, I'm just going to bounce ideas off my friends and family Um, and your friends and family are biased y'all. So if you're thinking that like, just by telling somebody or bouncing ideas off of a coach is the same as your friends and family Mm -hmm. is absolutely not because that person is actually invested in your success. Whereas your friends and family has way too Mm -hmm. much like baggage to really be an objective mirror for you. Totally. And also like, Friends and family, they may not even mean to, but they can fall into the hater category if they say the wrong thing. Like, (laughs) sorry, 
I'm going to say it like they may not be trying to tear you down. Sometimes they do. And that's their own insecurities. Just know that it's not even about you. It's their own. Story. Right. But like sometimes they say something like the pasada, just like, oh, and you know, how's that even going? And just the way it's because I always think things only affect us if we actually have insecurities. So if someone says like, I really don't like your blue hair. I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't have blue hair. But if someone says, I really don't like your brown hair. I'd be like, oh my God, I was thinking of dying it. I don't know, whatever. So when our own friends and families sometimes unintentionally say things that trigger a bruise that we didn't know was there. Oh my yes. God. But, uh, but to your point, it's not their job to make sure you're feeling like your best self and invested in your journey and your progress. Whereas a coach, I'm like, it's not remedial. First of all, I mean, you're like, mm -hmm. I'm like, we need to destigmatize this so hard because coaches, I mean, God, they hold space and they are affirming and they'll challenge you, but in a way that feels you feel safe, right? You know that it's their job to help you. It's not like to maybe throw shade and you're like, wait, what? Like, where'd that come from? Right. So my little PSA, public service announcement, pro coaches, I love them. One of my first coaches, uh, actually my third, a good friend of mine, Harry Lopez, look him up. Uh, his Oh, I think I know partner. about him because of Jen Hempill. Oh, okay. she's yeah, yeah. yeah, she I think she just did his program launch Latinx. And I'm like, I'm about to start a program. I'm promoting other people's programs. There will never be I'm like, there's no need for competition. Like, we have so much need for this in our community. And we'll never be saturated. Like, no, we have too many people in coaching programs. And now we have too many coaches that are booked. Like, no, there are always more coaches and we need more of it. But one of the things I wanted to mention that he taught me and it was so funny. It felt silly. I was like, oh, God, this is going to get stuck in my head. It's like the lamb chop song that never ends. So <laughs> yeah, it don't make sense when I say it. He basically, we were talking a lot about, I was struggling with like balance. There's no real such, I don't think there's such thing as balance. I think meaning like perfect 50% or right in the middle of things. It's very hard to maintain that. Balance is almost in extremes. It shouldn't be that way. At least in my life, it's like I work really hard and then I chill really hard. And I'd like to be in between, but it's just hard to do that sometimes. So we're talking about it. And he said, he often recommends to people think of it as finding balance between being and doing. So doing the work and just being yourself, being with yourself, being in love with yourself, whatever that looks like. And he said, it's, you know, be, do, do back and forth. Right. And he goes, and a simple way to remember is do, be, do, be, do, be, do, be, do, be, do. And I was like, <laughs> oh no, this is going to be in my head and it's kind of dumb, but it's not, no offense, Harry, it's not dumb. And Oh my God, it comes to mind all the time. So I'm curious to see like, if anyone listening ends up retaining that because it's such an easy way to remember. And it, it, it could be whatever framing works for people, but just the idea that we need that balance. And again, balance is not always possible, meaning an equilibrium in the middle because of the concussion. I had a psycho, come up with, not psychotherapist, a neuropsychologist. That's what she was called, a neuropsychologist. And I told her like, I just want to learn how to live 50% life. I'm like zero or a hundred trillion. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even a hundred. It's like so extra. And I don't even know how to stop sometimes. I'm not like, oh, I'm such an overachiever, but like it doesn't serve me to go that hard. And then if I don't, if I'm pushing that hard, the second I slow down, I'm at zero, like lights out, fetal position. I got a cold, like done. And it was, I can relate so hard. Really? Okay. I'm here. Like, I know like, I'm crazy, but today I quit a job that <laughs> at one point was like my dream job. And I was just like, as no time has gone on, I started feeling instead of like joy, it was mm. dread. Yeah. Oh and that's when I knew I was like, oh shit, like some. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 
selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. What's happening here? Yeah. And this is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the type to quit. And I think obviously there's like so much societal stigma and pressure yeah. to like finish what you started, work. but that shit is toxic. Like there's oh. so many things that we start and then don't stop after way past the expiration date. Oh yeah. And so I think that it's a process for me still to be like, okay, this is done. This season is done mm -hmm. because it's no longer serving my right. goals. It is so hard. Can I just say, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. I was today. I'm like, hi, how are you? Major yes. <laughs> and not like the courage it must have taken in the process. Like, oh my God. I'm like, can we give her a round of applause? <laughs> crazy. Oh Thanks, boo. No, I, I feel yeah. like I experienced that in terms of walking away, but it doesn't stop, right? Like now no. like, I work with different clients every single day and everything we do is a choice. And you're totally right. The expiration date can be right in front of us. And we're like, let's just, it, it works. It kind of works. Let's keep going. And it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. right? I think that it's not that bad is not the yes. way and <laughs> and I don't know if this is exactly what you're saying but maybe it's it's related but I think it's relevant a friend and mentor he said every time I'm ready to say it I'm like chills he said go where you're celebrated not where you're tolerated oh hello so that hit right I was like <laughs> yes oh, I got goosebumps I was like oh my god I have not been celebrated in so long <laughs> Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're the one that has to celebrate because ain't nobody else going to do it for you. And that's okay. Totally. Totally right. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's both, right? I think it's the celebration may or may not come from your company or your employer or your client, but the tolerating part, like if you know you're barely being tolerated, that's not healthy. We all deserve more than that. Absolutely. Everybody doesn't matter what you do, how much value you bring to the table or that you perceive that you bring to just be tolerated is not enough. And so mm. anyway, it's a process to, right? to remember that and to, to know when to step away. And it's hard. Like there's a couple things that I will have to sunset soon. I've been talking about sunsetting and I was like, you know, I really embraced the idea of a sun in, in product world. We often say we're sunsetting a product, but I was looking at the sunset, the actual sun at the ocean at the beach. And I was like, how funny, like we think of a sunset 
in the product world, like it's over, it's dead, basically, right? It was like, but mm-hmm. a real sunset, it, we know it marks the end of the day, it's over, but we're not mad at the sun for going, we're like, what? Like, you really had to end? I mean, right now we're kind of mad because it gets dark so early, but <laughs> and it, actually, we're kind of really mad that the day ends at like 2 p.m. But anyway, right. I think we don't really resent it because we appreciate it. We appreciate the day. It's so beautiful. But we know there's a sunrise the next day. There's always mm-hmm. another sunrise. And so I think of that often when I'm considering saying no to something and just remembering it's not the end of the world and there will always be more. We're not going to just go stagnant and die. And, and, walking away from something doesn't mean we're not going to find another. And I honestly think we always upgrade because yes. we now we know our worth. We know what we want and you are always going to now have a higher bar. Well, and you also make space for what you're actually passionate about, which yeah. means that the, your best self is bound to come out Yes, versus you just giving the bare minimum. Totally agree. So I want to talk to you about something that I struggle with as a serial side hustler mm. and just somebody who is always striving for the next thing. I find myself struggling with like, when is enough enough? Mm. Can you relate to that? Absolutely. Yeah. You should see all of my Google Docs of all the ideas I want to do and haven't done yet. Um, (laughs) And the the AC stopped and it's dramatically more quiet. (laughs) So when is enough enough? I have a tendency to have a lot of ideas and then want to start them all at the same time. (laughs) Same girl. (laughs) Like, why not? Right. Let's just go with everything. And I don't discourage that. I think it's important to plan. I posted about this on my Instagram today at in my element, if you want to find me. So I posted about how I think it is important to like plant those seeds. You never know what's going to grow. You never know what one thing will teach you to apply to the other. So I think not everyone is designed for that. Obviously you are as an entrepreneur. I am too, where I feel most alive, most fulfilled when I'm working on a bunch of different things and it just gives me life. It gives me energy. But when is enough enough? I think it comes down to integrity. So I said those intention, integrity, and intuition. So I think one listening to our intuition was like, sometimes we don't stop to just listen. Like our intuition might be like, girl, you need to sit down and focus on the things you already started. We may not hear that voice, right? It takes time to really develop that sense of knowing that like, anyway, we can do a whole nother episode on how to tap into intuition, but (laughs) it's intention, integrity, intuition. So then if our sense of intuition is not telling us, then I think it's like, all right, what was the intention? So if we intended to start something and we saw a vision for what's possible for it, then we have to remember what that intention was. Because then the, I think the, where the integrity kicks in is like, did we do right by that idea, that project, that business? Like, did we mm-hmm. kind of half-ass it, kind of walk away? And ultimately, like, I know that if I had more to my plate, I'm stretching myself more. Like, I know I, apparently there's no such thing as true multitasking. It's that some of us like it more than others. Some of us like having a lot on our plate. We're better at it because we like it, but it doesn't mean that like we have infinite attention span and infinite time to equally distribute across everything. Like, no, there's a finite amount of time in the day. There's only so much energy we can muster every day. So if we're going to add 10 more ideas to our plate, then that means we're spreading ourselves that much more thin. And I deal with this hard all the time because I want to start this new thing. And it feels like this is destiny. I obviously have to do this. I am put on earth to do this one thing that is so important. (laughs) We see it as like this huge thing, right? But then I think, okay, what will I be compromising? Is this going to take attention away from these other things? And what was my vision for it? What was the intention of it? Am I going to compromise on delivering that? It's like, okay, usually in some way, yes. But is that worth it? Because maybe there's some reason for it. So like I make room for new ideas all the time. But what I do make sure I do is try to find convergence. 
how can making progress on one further all of them along or maybe some mm. of them along? So they're interwoven in different ways. I'm doing things with my tequila company that relate to this small business project I'm working on, the platform that relates to Latina Soup Brunch. So I'm learning one thing or executing on one, but the impact, the learnings and the insights are interwoven into everything. So then I don't feel like I'm letting those down or I'm, I'm abandoning them. It's like, no, I'm putting attention into one, but it's going to benefit the rest. So I'm really intentional about thinking, how do these inter- interweave? Not everyone does that. I think it's a really important thing to do. So then you don't feel the guilt of like, oh my God, and I've done nothing on this other thing. Well, no, I mean, this other project, the outcome of the work we're doing there will help the other. But like I said, I think that when we know that we're not bringing our best to any of them or any one, that's when we get down on ourselves. And that I think is a really dangerous place to get as an entrepreneur because we can have a lot of ideas, but when we start feeling guilt and even shame of not doing enough on them, then we're hurting ourselves. So what I try to do is keep a document. Uh, I have so many docs, docs, Google Keep Notes, et cetera. I put them on my wish list. I'm like, it doesn't have to happen now. I like the phrase, it's not a no, it's a managed yes. Even to myself. Mm. Sometimes people, sometimes it's hard to tell other people no. I think we need to learn to say no. For other people, that can be the case. Maybe like, it's not no, I can never be on your podcast, but maybe yeah, let's circle back in three months and six months in a week, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm sure you've heard that before, people who've been on the podcast eventually or may in the future. So, you know, I think it's good to know how to set those parameters and boundaries for other people, but I think it's for ourselves too. Because sometimes I'm like, if I don't do this, I'm failing at what I can bring into the world and it's such a good idea, whatever. I'm like, wait, just because I'm not doing it now doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Let me just pace myself. And then I, so for one, I'm like, all right, when can I realistically do this? What do I need to accomplish on these other things to feel good about they're in a good place? Now we can add another layer, another idea, another whatever. But also knowing maybe I'm not starting now, but I have that, that lens now of like, I want to do idea, let's say I'm focused on idea A and B, but I want to get to idea C. It's just not the time. But how can working on A and B help me develop something? There's some, we're always creating value. There's some learning, some insight, some contact, whatever that can help idea C. So when I'm ready to do idea C, like our A and B are either done or they're sustainable or I've delegated, outsourced, whatever that looks like. Now, when I get ready for C, it is on and we're not starting at zero. We're starting at maybe 20% of what we need to build is already tested with these other things. So uh-huh. that's my approach. I love that. And I love that you touch on outsourcing. So how do you actually figure out like what is worth doing yourself versus what you need to outsource? So when I think about how to delegate, how to outsource, I think about what can I do that is unique to me? Like what of the work I'm doing is something that only I can do? The reality is, as an entrepreneur, is that you're going to do it all, right? Day one, we're not above it. I say for myself, I'm not above any of the work. I mean, I like some of it, but it all has to get done. Reality is it Mm -hmm. has to get done. So If you're in a position to outsource, because sometimes you're not, your budget's tight, you got to do it all yourself. But if you are in a place to outsource, and that could look like hiring freelancers, interns, people, I've hired people through Upwork.com, remote people, it could look like eventually hiring full-time salespeople, et cetera, et cetera. I think an approach I've taken for how to figure out when and how to, to bring people in is thinking about, all right, what needs to get done? Like, what's the kind of assessment of all the work that needs to get done? What can I do that no one else can? Context, skill, context, whatever. Then what stuff that I don't need to do, someone else could, and I could spend that time doing something else. Let's say in this case, consulting, where I'm going to get paid for that time. So there's an actual monetary value to that time that I'm like, well, I don't need to, for example, I'm soon going to be working with someone to help with social media. I don't need to be the one that schedules those posts or, or makes, I do do the content, but like, more the operational side of it. I can, and I'm doing it now, but 
it would make sense to bring in somebody to do that because I heard this phrase once, don't focus on the $10 an hour work, focus on the $200 an hour work or whatever that difference is for you. So if there's like minimum wage level work or, you know, some more junior level work that without any help, you'll get it done. But if you want, you can hire someone to figure out where they fit into the puzzle to handle that while you focus on the work that has faster return sooner or bigger impact. Sometimes I'm working on stuff that's not going to get me paid tomorrow, but I know I'm building for the future and I'm taking that as an investment in myself. So I'm like, I don't want this work to not get done, but I can't do all the things. It's just, it's a lot. Once you get into it, there's so much more than you can be a solopreneur for a very long time, but I think that you can be smart about finding balance in incorporating people who can add value with their skill set, with their level of experience. So then you can focus on the stuff that's like your sauce, your experience, your value add. I totally agree with you. The first thing I outsourced besides accounting, because I'm like, I sure as hell am not going to start learning how to do this shit, uh, was social media. Because Mm -hmm. let me tell you, you know more than most, like social media is a freaking time suck. It is a full-time job. Oh my God, it's a full-time job. And it's just so easy to just lose hours of your day just checking up on shit and interacting with people. Mm -hmm. And while all of that has value, like, if you're so bogged down answering DMs, you're not going to be building strategies for your business and what you're going to be working on six to 12 months from now. Yep. So as much as you want to have that personal touch, sometimes you have to be really strategic Mm -hmm. about where your time is going if you want to scale. Yep. And learning to let go. I have a hard time. I'm a control freak over here. I have the hardest time with that. Oh my God. I hear it in your voice, girl. I'm a self-identified recovering perfectionist. (laughs) Not always recovered. Some days are better than others. I think part of it, though, is being mindful of who are you hiring? What experience do they have? Can you onboard them right so that it gets as close to you doing it as possible? And maybe even better. You know, sometimes that happens, which is amazing. But if not, at least making sure that the one thing I will warn is like, if you're hiring someone, make sure that you're not paying them to do work, do it not the way you wanted. Then you have to spend time training them and then fixing the work because now you're paying someone for just too much time. So I got, I don't want to say burned, but like, there has to be another word for that. But I learned that, <laughs> in a positive that, yeah, I went, I wasn't clear on how familiar someone was with what I needed done. And I thought like, oh yeah, of course I know how to do this. Like, I think you can be on the same page with someone about expectations of work, but you still have to explain the way you do it because. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. You felt that. And you know why I learned this? Because as somebody who I'm an engineer, uh, that's my background. Mm-hmm. So I lived in the world of standard operating procedures forever. Oh, right. And I recently, and this is like this year, I was listening to a podcast from another business owner and they were just like, you need SOPs for your business. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Mm-hmm. This is why there's a loss in translation when you're trying to explain what you want from somebody, but you don't actually write it down mm-hmm. and give them like a checklist. And this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And this is who you need to contact. Once I did that, oh my God, game changer. Cause then there's what? like no question and the, nothing right. to interpret. It's right mm-hmm. there in your face. Yep, it's not You can't follow the directions at that point. Then we Never just, problems. we ain't going to work out. Mm-hmm. No, totally. And I used to avoid it because I thought, oh, I don't want them to think I'm micromanaging. Right. Kind of obvious. No, it's not obvious because it's in your head. No one else is going to. Yes. So I think like I'm learning more and more and it's just, we all learn. It's continuous. We are a student of life when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> like it's worth spending the time to outline the micro steps for someone to do something that they know exactly how it's done. And then if they master that, want to get creative and do it better and find a way to optimize, great. But like, 
the gaps that happen when we're not clear on what we want. I mean, this is a relationship advice, by the way. When we're not clear on what we want, people are going to interpret and potentially misinterpret in a way that then, because we, our expectation then is, oh, they're going to do what I can do. No, they don't know what that is. They don't. They might see it on your feed or something, but like they don't know how that works. So mm-hmm. unless we give the example and often the 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 roadmap or the the blueprint, they're going to figure it out on their own. You know, they're going to do the best that they can that they think they can. And so, I, like you're right, it's. Once you put that down in specifics, that eases up so much. And I sometimes I'm like, oh, I have to write down these notes. (laughs) But then how many times am I not going to have to repeat it again and again? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so one thing that you touched on previously, and I struggle with this all the time, I'm sure most entrepreneurs do, is burnout. Mm Because it's really easy to burn both ends of the candles when nobody's telling you to clock out at five o'clock. So what do you do to manage burnout? Oh, my God. Okay. Manage is an interesting word because it's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's exactly what I was going to say. A mentor of mine told me, you will burn out. Don't be afraid of it. Like, oh my God, it's the kukui. And it's it's like, if it happens, (laughs) no, it will. Don't assume that, like, it's hard to imagine that it, if someone has never gone through burnout, God bless you. Like, I think that's great. But reality is it will likely happen either in a professional capacity or the work is pushing you and you don't feel the burnout, but you might feel it in your relationship and your home life somewhere else. So uh-huh. burnout, if anyone's unfamiliar, it's that place where you're just so just stretched too thin, so tired, and it's hard to refuel. And like you said, burning the candle at both ends of the sticks, <laughs> both ends of the stick, meaning even your reserves are on low. Like, yes, it's hard. So manage is interesting, like I said, because it's sort of like, how do you keep it from happening as often? Or as fast because it's it's not going to just happen once. Oh, I did it! I got chicken pox. It's over. No, it's been happening <laughs> all the time if we don't take care of ourselves and, and manage that. And then the other is how do you come out of it? How do you rebuild when you've kind of fallen into that place? And so mm-hmm. to avoid it, I really I've been really really intentional about this because I have to be because I'm like I can't afford for a burnout to happen. It does happen still, but like as much as we can make things sustainable. So I think everyone has their own almost like toolkit of things that they can go to. Some people don't have any. And so if you are listening and you've never thought about how to sustain yourself, your energy, your light, even if that sounds really like sustain your light, what does that mean? Like <laughs> it's very woo woo. <laughs> right. Thanks to follow your light, trust your light. I talk about it all the time. It's like your power source, like your energy, your motivation, all of that. Right. So for me, it's very specific. It's not too woo woo. It's like, I have to meditate. I have mm-hmm. to journal. I have to read. And it is so hard. I have plenty of days when I don't and I feel it. I'm like, oh God, my head's all over the place. I didn't have that time to just be grounded and centered. And like, I light my candles. I, I make almost like spiritual practices out of things that may not mean a lot to other people, but they do for me. Like I take a shower almost every night with candles in my shower. Apparently not a lot of people do that. It's so <laughs> relaxing and just zen. Cause I'm like, my head has a thousand things going on. I need to shut down. And I don't sleep well when I'm not shut down. Or like if I go to sleep and I'm worried about things and I don't sleep well, then the next day I wake up feeling like gruda, like hungover, uh-huh. just brain not shutting off at night. And then the whole, and then I know the rest of the day. I'm like, I don't know what it's going to go like. It might not go so well because I didn't start on the right foot, which is from the previous day. So, you know, like, I think we have to be mindful of like what energy or what stress, what weight are we holding on to or not letting go of that then goes into the next day and the next. And then that becomes problematic because we didn't stop to just pause and refuel so i play you know like telenovela music like chayanne and, and i have my romanticas playlist i put on my candles i make it a whole experience i'm like i'm not just showering just to be clean i'm i'm having this experience to cleansing your spirit cleansing my spirit clearing out my mind 
And I used to think that this was like so indulgent. Like, who has time for that? I never got time for bathtub. Like, what? And I realized that like the more I take care of myself, the better I can execute. The more I can produce. The yes. More produce. There is clear return because when we push ourselves so hard, it's going to catch up to us. It will. So those are things to like avoid it happening, even though it can and it will, but just delaying it perhaps or just not having it happen as often. That looks different for everybody. Some people need to make sure like I have to make sure and I didn't do this enough. I have to make sure that I check in with people who friends of mine, but often many, I call them my advisors who just energize me, remind me they believe mm-hmm. in just like those cheerleaders, but also advice. Like if you want advice, that's helpful. Also making sure that if I'm tired and exhausted with work, that I don't expose myself to people who are energy vampires. Oh, yes. Because if I don't have a lot to give to myself and my work, then I cannot, it sounds selfish, but I'm like, I can't, I get wiped out. And then I have nothing left for what I need to do. So I have to be accountable to myself and what I, my goals are and then the people I work with and everything else. So anyway, I think that if there's an invitation here for anyone listening who hasn't done this, like. Think about what makes you happy. What makes you feel calm? What makes you feel centered? I do a lot of silly things. Like I really believe in like being a kid at heart as long as possible. Don't grow up. It's a trap. <laughs> I do my yoga thon. I don't do enough. I don't like to work out. So I do yoga thon. I do my cooking on Instagram live sometimes. And it's for me and I hope people enjoy it. But it just makes me feel alive and it feels exciting. And it's like, I don't want to be, I need a break from email. I need a break from being on video conferencing all day or, you know, meetings and all that. I don't watch TV normally. Like I just have never been a TV watch, like sitting in like, I binge watched a show for the first time, like two years ago. Cause I was sick with a cold. Like this is new to me. I was, you know, I'm a nerd. I read a lot of books, whatever. It's a lot of crafts. And so now I'm like, Oh, let me sit and watch something and not feel bad about it. Not feel guilty because I need to decompress. And the journaling yes. is a big part of that because sometimes we get so full of thoughts and we need to put them somewhere. Oh so my God, girl. It's practically free therapy. And I know it's stigmatized, but like, if that resonates for anyone listening, just do it. It's just, don't, don't judge it. Don't think, am I writing enough or, or is it smart enough or whatever? Who cares? No one's going to read it. You're not that interesting. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just write what you need to write. And sometimes it's not productive. It's just, I used to do this thing. I call it my five for five. I still do it, I guess. I just, I'm doing more, but I, at a baseline, I do five for five. So every morning I do. I meditate for five minutes minimum first. I, these are my minimums at least. And like, if because five minutes of meditation doesn't sound like a lot, but if you do it consistently, it is game changer. And even if mm-hmm. once it can help. So five minutes of meditation, five minutes of writing in my journal about anything, five minutes of reading. Again, anything. It could be like rom-com type book. It could be self-help, whatever. Five minutes. Oh, not five minutes. Five things I'm grateful for. I tweet them often or I'll write them because gratitude is just, it's a important. I'll talk about that next. It's really important, I think, to just have perspective. And then I do five squats while I'm brushing my teeth. It's not. I a love workout. it. I may not get to yoga thon, but five <laughs> of each, and then it's like a little like they're they're linked sort of in my mind. Like okay, I did the two, and I did the other ones, and I fall off all the time. And then I just remember I can come back to it. It's never too like mm-hmm. to So the second part, and I don't know if we're going over time, but you know me. No, go for it. Is that thank you to recover from burnout? One of the things that I've found is that I think that when we burn out we often get caught up in our heads and feel really low and have a lot of negative self-talk. It's hard yes. to reactivate, hard to self-motivate. The creativity is gone. You oh. just feel like you can't do shit. Like just getting in the shower is an accomplishment at that point. Yeah. And it may not be like full depression. I mean, sometimes it can be, but like it's just a funk, right? You're stuck in it. Yeah. There may be anxiety related to it. We don't talk about mental health enough. I tweeted you know today. It's fine too. Well. Like I start <laughs> avoiding the shit that I know I need to do. Oh, so like oh, then procrastinate 
starts rearing its ugly ass head. Yep. <laughs> totally. Oh my God. That is so real for me this week. I was like, I finally did some things that I was just not uh, yesterday. I, I did a virtual co-working with a friend and I was like, we, we both said it, but I was like, all right, are we going to do this? We need to do those things. I'm like, I need to close tabs. I need to have all those tabs open. <laughs> in my brain. I have all these open tabs of things that I haven't finished. And then the guilt gets to me. Let's just get it done. And then we can talk to the point. Now we can talk about the new ideas and then. Yep. So one of the things that I, it's not like you heard it here first. Cause I did speak about this at we all grow two or three years ago. Now uh, it's a talk I've done a couple of times, but I haven't shared it. I don't think I've ever, maybe I shared it once on a podcast, but anyway, this is the first time that I'm sharing it while in the process. I'll say that I developed sort of a framework for myself around how to, I call it how to, well, burnout is one thing, but I framed it as how to find your light when the world thinks you're shining. Because it's hard, I think, to do that when people, when you got to show up, right? You have your, your following online, you have your work, Mm -hmm. you have clients, whatever, you have to show up for everybody, your family, your partner, your kids, whoever. I think that when you're just down and you're just sad and everyone knows you're sad and then it's just, all right, well, you're just sad, but it's hard when you have to show up and like smile through it and act like nothing's wrong and keep the fucking worst. Oh my God. It is so exhausting. It's on another level. It's like first you're sad or you're down, whatever. And then you got a front, like everything is fine. That's so much energy and it's just exhausting. So that's why I call it how to find your light when the world thinks you're shining because everyone thinks everyone is shining. Everyone thinks Mm -hmm. they're the only problems are the only ones unmotivated. Everyone is practically the same. We're all going through something. So anyway, I call it, I got to raise my GPA. So GPA stands for gratitude, purpose, and authenticity. Mm. And in my toolkit, meaning I've done this multiple times when I've either felt burnt out or sad or just like low, whatever that looks like. And it's helped me in all of these situations. So I can't say it's a, it's not quite Vaporu cure-all, but it is very helpful. So at least I've found and I've shared it with people who've said it's helped them too. So I just, from a gratitude standpoint, I think sometimes we can get so down on ourselves. We forget to just have gratitude for things that we overlook, you know, like sometimes I tweet today, I'm grateful for, and I put anything now. I'm like blueberries, my abuelita, my blankets, my computer, whatever, like things that like, if we didn't have these things or, or people or whatever, like, there's so much to be grateful for and we forget we just get down on ourselves and it's like wait a minute or the ability to breathe the ability to work whatever just having gratitude i think is just a good energy shift to the positive that's one sure the second purpose i mean there's science that proves that when we help people it makes us actually feel better like physiologically feel better so what i always recommend to people and i have to do this because sometimes we think we're like sometimes think we're doing a lot for people and then i'm like wait when's the last time i help someone when we're people that are about people right I mean, at least in, in my case, like a lot of the work I do is kind of service oriented, showing up and all that. But sometimes I'm doing the work so much that I'm like, wait, when was the last time I just like reached out to someone to see how I can help them or mm-hmm. whatever. And so I've found that it's really helpful for me because one, it feels good to know you're helping someone that feels gratifying. But two, often we're helping someone. They need help for a reason. So it's a reminder that we add value. We do have worth because sometimes when we're doubting ourselves, we get, I mean, like I said, I've had the thought where I'm like, am I employable? I'm like, you have a Harvard degree and you worked at Google. What is wrong with you? Come on. <laughs> and that's not me saying I'm better or less, whatever. Just like, these are facts. Anyone listening, no matter what skill you have, no, what degree, what anything, if you've had a job before, you're going to have one again because you can get it. Right? We're employable people. Right. Or you'll sell another thing as an entrepreneur, whatever that looks like. I think that our experiences all build on, on themselves. When we help people, we remember, oh, I'm good at that thing. I forgot I'm good at X. Like I helped someone with some pretty basic Excel formulas that I say basic because I'm not a pro, but I was able to help her with the basics that I know. And I was like, 
oh, that was useful to you? Like, I mean, we overlook the things that we're good at sometimes. Or I've had people, like my mom's a teacher and my tia is too, and they've asked me to help them with some presentations and things for students, although my mom's crushing it. She gets full like MVP teacher award. <laughs> I'm like, you learned how to do what? But early on, they'd asked me to help them with things. And it was like the basics, like how to set up a Google Doc or something. And we all have things we can help people with that we often underestimate. And I think it's really powerful as a way to rebuild and to remember, like, we've got this, even if we're not ready to do the full thing, those baby steps in helping other people is often how we help ourselves. And Mm -hmm. the last one is authenticity. We often do not speak from a place of authenticity. We aren't honest with ourselves about what we really need and want and what we don't want. And so I think, right, the more we really isolate, like, what do we really, really want, like, in our heart of hearts, in our gut, in our mind, what do we really without do? the opinions of everybody that you got in your head and yep. what your is gonna say and what yep. your mom's gonna say? Because we always are filtering what we want through what other people want for us. Yes, and what they expect of us, which is still mm-hmm. one. Like it's like none of it matters. And this came up for me when I was working with my very first coach. We were talking. I was totally burnt out, figuring things out with work and everything. And and she did like a full assessment, and she's like, okay, basically her assessment of me was she's like, you killed your inner child. She's dead. Ooh. And I was like, what? I went when I had no hobbies and, you know, and whatever. And she's like, what do you do for fun? And I was like, oh, I go to the club all the time. I go dance with my friends, whatever. And she's like, does that even make you happy? And I was like, well, and it was weird. I was like, I mean, I think it does because I'm there. I'm having fun. And then she said, what do you really want to do? And no one had really asked me that. And I was like, I just want to bake and read Harry Potter and like just chill <laughs> and just make crafts. And I was like, oh my God. And I do love to dance. I love to dance, obviously. I wish I could do yoga at the club. Any club, <laughs> RIP clubbing. <laughs> See you in 2026. But anyway, I thought I was having fun, right? But it was more like, wait, no, I'm going because people expect me there. Because mm-hmm. what are we doing this weekend? Where are, you, where are you at? And it's like, what's the plan? I'd get caught up in that so quickly that I didn't even stop. It was just like default Friday, Saturday, we're doing something, maybe even Thursday, we're going out, we're whatever that is for everybody. The thing that we get kind of caught up in with other people's expectations or and they may not be bad expectations this is not no one has had me in a headlock taking me out to the club like at all you know I I showed up I consensual clubbing (laughs) but I I hadn't stopped to think about like what do I really want and now I make that a practice like I physically stop and I'm like what do I really want I think it or I say it and I wait like literally wait for my body to tell me I'm like Mm -hmm. I want to make some cookies or whatever and sometimes it is a club and that can be that but it was like the difference between showing up because I thought I was expected and I was like, what are they going to say if I don't go? And I didn't think I was really worrying about it, but it was like, that was the motivation. It wasn't for me. It was, it felt like it was, I told myself it was for me because I got the probably social validation of showing up. We get cute, we do whatever. And that could be maybe people feeling pressured or obligated to do all types of things. But the fact that what I really wanted was so different from that, I was like, oh my God, I haven't checked in and haven't honored that. And then telling people, hey, like, no, I'm not sick. I just don't want to go or I want to do this instead. And and being okay with that, standing by that, because we deserve it to do whatever the hell we want. Absolutely. That's such an important message. And I think that is a journey that I've also had to go on too, because a lot of that I think comes from the people that you surround yourself with. So Mm -hmm. if you become intentional about your circles of people and like what their purpose is and what role they serve in your life, like you can reach out to the friends that are the homebodies if you're in that type of mood. You can reach out to the friends that want to go out and party if you're in that type of mood, because you already have like cultivated these little pods of people that you can Mm -hmm. express different sides of your personality with without guilt. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we forget that, that we can choose whoever we want, 
we can mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean we're not their friends or something but it's like sometimes you're in a mood for the club friends love those friends right now i wish we could all hang in now you know <laughs> that's why i'm like i'm not gonna see you in a while so right and i think sometimes it's even admitting sometimes I'll, I'll be the first to tell people like do you ever just want to do like a paint night or do you ever wish we could just like read together but like yes <laughs> and they're like oh my god and i'm like i said it i know like it's i like nobody wants to say yeah. what they want but we all yeah. want like very similar things often <laughs> yes and it doesn't mean we are only going to want to read in our pyjamas every night like sometimes i do want I, we are multi-dimensional people we can want multiple yes. things and so the more that i'm like hey do you want to do like virtual tea party with me and they're like <laughs> what yes i'm like maybe that sound's lame it sounds awesome to me or Girl, uh, sign me up. <laughs> all right, we are gonna have some tea. <laughs> or also, I, I started with my friend Joy Valor, who you know. We started Hustle House, so it's virtual co-working, and now you're invited. And anyone listening, let yes. So slide <laughs> my DMs, Instagram, they're open. So because I was like, I to the point of saying what we need. I was like, I need coffee shops. I can't go. I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. I do not feel comfortable, but I just need the noise and the people. Like I miss it. And I was like. I don't even really need a coffee shop. I just need to know somebody's there. Cause like, ugh, I'm like, I almost feel like I'm like a need a babysitter. It's not that <laughs> somebody just, you know, like just, I'm like, just not like a warm blooded person next to yes. me <laughs> and a little bit of noise. So we started doing these virtual co-working sessions where I play coffee house vibe music. And sometimes every now and then when we're in the grind, I'll put on some, some like old school reggaeton and we really get into it, but just like to make it feel like an online coffee shop, basically. And I said like, you know, sometimes I just want to, not I mean there's work time sometimes there's like I just want people on video chat and we all read at the same time and I was like that seems lame but I'm like we are in a pandemic we need to do whatever the hell we need to do and guess what I asked people and they're like oh my god I need silent reading time please because it's hard to motivate ourselves on our own sometimes yes in college this is this is the most it was very g-rated I used to have nap parties where it's like <laughs> we didn't want to be by ourselves and we want to take a nap like let's just have a nap party everyone pass out yo I really wish I'd gone to Harvard. It sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, I made my experience pretty awesome. Oh my god, exhausting. Oh man. Anyway, amazing. I think, that, I think that honestly, your entrepreneurship journey will be as good as you take care of yourself. Amen to that. And I so mean, I, I want to touch that, <laughs> two snaps and the whole thing. <laughs> so along that you know that message is like Mm -hmm. your entrepreneurship journey will be what you want it to be i am a firm believer in manifestation and mindset so Mm -hmm. is there something that you tell yourself before you have like a big meeting or you're trying Mm -hmm. to cultivate like creativity is there some things that you kind of repeat to yourself some mantras or whatnot so for like when i go into a meeting i think there's a scenario in which i'm thinking like where you want maybe it's like you're pitching or you want something mm-hmm. or you want to make progress on something. I just try to tell myself, trust that everything will happen as it should. Mm. Sometimes you get a no and you dodged a bullet and you didn't know that it could be frustrating, you know? So I think mentally preparing myself for like, let's see what happens. Let's go. And I also play the song, uh, head sprung by L cool J every time before I go into <laughs> it gets me in the zone. And at the beginning it says, they call me big Ellie and no one calls me that, but <laughs> it feels like it's for me anyway. So I get, you know, I try to get myself hyped, but also like, kind of set expectations for myself that I'm going to push and I'm going to try to get what I'm aiming toward or, or we or get consensus with people, whatever that looks like. But just knowing like, we just got to trust, trust the flow and see what happens from there. Then you mentioned, wait, what were the other scenarios? Like if you're trying to cultivate creativity. I ah, see. That's a good one. I do struggle with this. There's a book I recommend always. It's called The War of Art. And also if you go to my Instagram, link in bio, my book list is there. If anyone wants to check that out. 
I put all my books there from bookshop.org. So they actually only source from small businesses, which is pretty awesome. And then I get a 10% kickback. I don't know if you have one yet, but it's pretty awesome. And then I donate that money and try to do good things with it. So I have a book with there and the war of art is on that list. And it's, it talks about creative blocks and how it's essentially personifies resistance. Like with a capital R, like when we're fighting resistance, we're at war. Like it is so hard to get through that. So I deal with that plenty, but often I try to do something that may not like, like I've been struggling with, I want to make a new painting and I haven't. And so I'm like, okay, let me start with not even watercolors. Cause I usually do acrylics, not even watercolors. Let's start with just getting a pen out. I love Muji pens. Let me start just doodling or just like getting into movement of flow, like get the energy shifting a little bit. I'll play my music. I try to like set the vibe for myself. Like I'll light my candles if I need to. And try to let go of expectations because sometimes we get into analysis paralysis and it's like overthinking the art, the plan, the whatever. And then I always talk about my friend Anthony. He's so great. I call it what he does. I call it the Anthony approach where he just reminds me, what's the smallest first step you can take? Mm. And it's like, maybe it's not a full painting. Maybe it's just painting the background a color or maybe it's not even a art. Maybe I just make a meal. Just getting into flow of something. And, I, and that's why in my element really means a lot to me because I think like we're our best fullest versions of ourselves, fullest versions of ourselves when we are in our element and it doesn't happen organically every day necessarily. We have to get ourselves there. And so I think that's why music is important. The people that get you inspired and excited, those little like so weird. I actually recently I got into flow in the most unexpected way and I did not ever think this would happen to me. I was avoiding doing this. I got into flow and then like got creative and all these different things. It happened because I organized my sock drawer. Like, <laughs> Please explain. What? I was like, so I was listening to this talk. Of course, multitasking. I'm listening to this talk on entrepreneurship. I'm sorting my socks. And I had bought these containers at Dollar Tree to make like dividers in this drawer. And I was like, oh my God. And I can sort them this way. And I can have like my different types of socks and whatever, Tony's, all the things and sort them in containers. And it felt like <laughs> strategic almost. And it's also yes. soothing to just move my hand, get out of my head, move my hands, sort these socks. I wear mismatched socks all the time because I don't feel like matching them, like taking the time <laughs> to dig for them. So like, let me just organize them now. And then later I'll spend less time trying to dig for socks every time. And it was just like, I was listening to the talk and I was doing the socks and it was just doing something. And that's why the people often say like, make your bed in the morning. It'll give you a sense of accomplishment or yes. just start anything like just getting into flow. Because when we get stuck, we kind of shut down on most things. It's really debilitating, you know, or even like wash the dishes, but be mindful, like be present to it. If you just get stuck in your head while doing these things, that doesn't help. But if you're actually present to it, that kind of quiets the noise in our heads that is keeping us from doing it. And then I find I'm like, and all of a sudden it wasn't so hard. Once I did enough of these things to build up it's almost like building creative confidence, but in doing mm -hmm. anything, because we expect the outcome to be so like grandiose and like magnificent. And sometimes we just got to start. Yes. I love that message. Okay. So before we wrap this up, I want to know what's one piece of advice that you would want to give to somebody who is ready to launch their own business or go off on this entrepreneurial path, but is like stuck or doesn't know where to start. The first thing I wanted to say, I'll give you an answer, but I feel like this came to mind first is um, really make sure you have your savings sorted out. You don't want for your entrepreneurial journey to be crippled by miscalculation and mispreparation that you could have planned for. Just make sure you're good and plan for emergencies. Check out Ask Snowball, my friend and 
just amazing founder friend, Tanya Menendez started an app that helps people adjust like things like student debt. I'm just always trying to give people shout outs because they deserve them. Look at Tanya's amazing. Tanya is so awesome. I know she's a big fan of yours too. So <laughs> I hype everybody up, but um, yeah, like look at your budget, really make a smart budget. Look at your savings, look at your, in startup world, we say your run rate and your burn rate. So how quickly do you anticipate spending your money and how long will that last you? So if you were to look at your budget, on average, you spend X amount of money every month, find some averages of like your rent or mortgage, your food, whatever, and then figure out how long is that going to last you based on what you have now? Is that three months? Is that 12 months? So then you know how quickly you need to hustle to make money sooner because sometimes the money isn't going to come overnight and you need to just be able to be okay. Because if the stress kicks in about that, then you go into scarcity mentality, then it affects your productivity and your creativity and we need you good. So that's one. The second that came to mind was to not be afraid to ask for help. There's a book by Adam Grant called Givers and Takers. And this is a good thing, apparently, that the people who are most successful are actually matchers in between, where givers often suffer because they give so much that people take advantage. Takers think they win because they take from everybody and they move up ahead pretty easily, but they ultimately don't win because people don't like takers. But matchers are good about giving and, and taking, but not transactionally necessarily. It's not like I gave you 10 cents, you better give me 10 cents. It's like you know, the back and forth. And so I'm glad I do that. But sometimes I'm like, if I don't have something to give to someone, then I don't even ask for help. And that's not the way to do it. I just had a friend help me. I just, I really needed help with some modeling of numbers in Excel and I couldn't do it because the math wasn't hard. And I knew that, which was extra frustrating, but I just, the screen was really getting to me, this concussion situation still. And it's like really nitty gritty numbers stuff. And I, I reached out to him. I was like, any chance you can help me with this Excel sheet? And I was like, and I tried to make it like, I'll give you tequila. And he's like, <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. And he, he made this beautiful model and I, I walked him through what I needed. He, he got it done really fast and he was just happy to help. And I was like, I think I underestimate how much people want to support us and believe in us. And, and if they do want to get paid, then they'll probably tell you, you know, they'll probably make mm-hmm. what they need. Often they do more than we do. So that was the second one. And the third, in terms of the question, just advice for entrepreneurs be very clear on your why, because people are going to try to put so many doubts in your head that they might think are helpful. Just don't forget it. And often I'm going to do this. Actually, I'm going to make a new vision board. Sometimes we need the like tangible visuals of what that is or what that future could look like or, or who we're trying to help or why we're doing this, because it's so easy to disconnect from that. And so recently I was like, I need to just print all these people's faces and put them on a board. Like the people who support me and believe in me, I'm just going to have like a wall of all of my supporters because I can't think in a video chat every single day with all of them. I'd like that, but it's, it's hard. You gotta get the work done. So <laughs> I think that it's like being clear on your why, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what it looks like, what is that mission and vision? And then remembering, you know, the point is don't, you don't need anyone's input, but if you have people who believe in you, keep them close. Yes. Such good advice. And I'm pitching a new Latinas Who Brunch event. We're doing a virtual vision board for 2021. Wait, I'm just putting that out there. I wanted a partner to do a vision board. Hello. Oh my God. I have so many. Vision board psycho. Like, yes. Yes. A thousand percent. Literally. Okay. We are doing this. You're all in bed. I love it. We did it. It's happening. I'm so. It's happening. It's happening. Because I was like, I have all these magazines. I was like, do I? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. All right. So much yes. Eliana, this conversation has been amazing. I am so inspired by everything that you're doing. And I think you have shared so much intimate information about like the realities and the struggles of what it is to be entrepreneurship, right? Or an entrepreneur, because there's so much like friggin' 
nonsense out there about mm-hmm. like what the it actually looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, we see all the beautiful curated stuff and all mm-hmm. the amazing accomplishments and the long cover sheets and mm-hmm. the resumes and the shit. But it's like, yo, the work really happens in these quiet mm-hmm. spaces when we're doubting mm-hmm. ourselves, when we are in places where we're just not really confident about what we're doing, but we're going to mm-hmm. do it anyway. Cause yeah. So I just appreciate you sharing your, all this information, sharing your time with us. And I cannot wait to continue to see how you grow and flourish and all these releases that you're going to be coming out with. I'm so oh excited. God. More to come. And I, I am just so grateful for you. This inspired me because I have a podcast that I literally just like talk about whatever I want by myself. And I've been meaning to interview people. So I'd love to invite you to be on my podcast. Yes. Now. Oh and my I'm going to be my highest honor. Oh, I can't wait. So this will get me to actually do it because I just need to make it happen. And one thing I'll end with, because I was already getting, everyone has moments of insecurity or when they question themselves or self-doubt, right? Just for everyone listening, this happens. It's real. Even me, like, I'm like, even anybody. And the reason I say that is because I was already thinking, oh, here I am again, trying to describe what I do. And everyone's always like, but what, what is it? It's so many things or, or it doesn't make sense or it's all over the place. That was like, I'm leaving this amazing conversation. I'm so grateful. I had so much fun. And the thing that I kept with the first thought was like, oh God, I didn't make any sense. And so immediately I was like, stop it. Let me acknowledge this because my advice, I guess, because it's real for me is don't worry if people don't get what you're doing. Uh, don't worry yes. about it make sure that you have input from people that know your space or, you know, like have advisors if you, if it makes sense for you. But I struggle often with like, if I try to explain it, people think I'm all over the place. I'm doing too many things. It's not really clear. What, what kind of consulting, what, and I'm like, as long as I know what I'm doing, I'm good. So that's it. it. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wrap y'all. Okay. Thank you so much, Eliana. This has been amazing. Thank you. And I say that for you too, because I'm doing all types of things and I'm so doing all of them and you'll do more. And I can't wait to cheer you on as you're doing them. And for everyone listening, follow us, show us some love. I'm all ending it for you. And uh, yes, no, go ahead. Where can we find out more about you and follow yeah, your journey? Yeah. So on Instagram, my name is, you can search Eliana. I think it'll come up pretty easily, but um, it's in my element, I-N-M-Y-E-L-I-M-E-N-T. That's my account. And then I have Latina Su Brunch, of course. But if you go to my bio on my account, you'll see Latina Su Brunch there. You'll see Alquimia there. If you're interested, I'll do a special for this beautiful audience. You can slide in my DMs and I can give you the insider info on how to order. I don't think that's too much. So holler at me. It's really good tequila. Just saying. I can attest to it. I was saving it for November 4th. (laughs) Did you really save it the whole time? Yo, I really did. And I popped that bottle and we were celebrating. Oh, <laughs> Wait, November 4th, November 3rd. That's what it was. This is the, I mean, I'm like one day. I, well, yes. I mean, November 3rd lasted a week. It was forever. That's true. Exactly. That's why I needed to open it because I was like going to lose my mind. Oh, yeah, seriously. Oh my God. I was, I was it's so funny. I am actually a total lightweight and I basically drink nothing but my own tequila, especially now because I'm not out. That's I'm wild. Like, I'm not going to buy anyone else's liquor. I'm going to only drink tequila. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I thought this was a tequila snob, but whatever. So that account is there. You can let me know if you're interested. And you can also Google me, elianamurio.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I don't check it often enough, but I will. I love connecting with people. And what I always like to ask people is if any of this resonated, let me know. Like, it's cool to know people are listening, but I want to know, is it helpful? What stood out to you? Did you have a reaction? That always makes me happy. So that's my ass. I love that. And she has fabulous hair. So make sure you follow her on Instagram because you give me all the hair vibes. (laughs) When I shower, you know, it's looking pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, babe. Thank you. I can't wait to do this again soon. Yes.
I hope that this episode has you feeling inspired and empowered to make a change if that's what your heart is telling you to do. I find that I can get trapped in like this comparison cycle where I see people who are doing things that I want to be doing, and it's really easy to allow those types of things to derail you and make you feel like you're not worthy. So I wanted to leave you with a message that I actually shared on Twitter, and I hope that it's relevant for you because it's a message that I needed to reinforce within myself. And here's the message. There is no difference between the women you admire that are super confident, living their dreams, and making shit happen. They are no more worthy than you. They're not special. They've just made the decision to believe that they're worthy of what they want and unapologetically go after it. So I ask you, what is it that you unapologetically want to go after? And why aren't you doing that yet? You, mujer, are worthy of all of your dreams. So believe it and let's start taking action to make it a reality. Until next time, stay inspired, stay empowered, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 